Uh, good morning to you all. Let's just bow our heads before we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, all of your Word contains truth. But it seems to me that today what we're about to read is a particularly important one that if we grasp will make such a difference to the way that we serve you. And so I pray that through your Holy Spirit we would be helped to grab hold of that and to find that difference in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are continuing our slow but steady progress through 2 Corinthians. And today we'll be in chapter 5 and looking at verses 6 to 8. So please can you turn there now. Now one of my favorite books in the whole universe is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, which is a... F <laughs> I'm glad there's another fan. Anyway, it is a four-part trilogy written by Douglas Adams. Amongst other parts of useful information, there is some instruction on how to fly without an airplane. And in case you ever wanted to give, you that, give, give that a try, I'll quote you the key parts so you know where to start. The guide says that there is an art to flying, said Ford, or rather a knack. The knack lies in learning how to throw yourself at the ground and miss. Now, I'd give you a demonstration, but I'm not sure it would work. Although that's a bit amusing, the line does contain a meaningful truth about the possibilities of confidence. It asks, what might a person's life be like if they had absolute confidence? Well, in today's text, Paul has something to say about what that might be like for a believer. So let's jump right in. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1 so as to preserve the immediate parts of the argument. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Let's start by looking more closely at verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Well, the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to are these two phrases, at home in the body and absent from the Lord. One of the things I like to do, do during sermon prep is try to paraphrase verses to put them in plain English to help me understand them, particularly in cases like this one where they are hard to understand on the first reading. And in this case, my result was a statement of the bleeding obvious. I'm sure because if I'm here, 
I'm not there. Well, I can see you standing there, Dave, so you're clearly not somewhere else. It seems to me that although these phrases appear to describe completely different, yet simultaneous places of being, they are really just snapshots of different times in a continuous existence. In Paul's mind, it is literally all good. Death is now meaningless. It's a mere moment and forever. He is confident that while he is alive at home in the body, he is already eternally safe in God's hand, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit as it's written here. When he passes on, thus present with the Lord, the same is true. The guarantee will be honored and he is eternally safe in God's hand. And this is why he can make this strong claim of confidence. And I hope that it's obvious that he is also we. Let's remember that the confidence we read of here is expressed despite very significant suffering in Paul's own life. And I'm not going to go over the specifics again because I believe that they're pretty familiar to everyone. But Paul's evangelical journeys have already delivered to him enough pain and difficulty to, to last most people several lifetimes. Yet, as we read here, he remains completely confident. And he wants to earnestly share that degree of confidence with you and I. So, if we, if we accept his offering, what should we do with it? It's this, it's just like our example of flight. We must carefully ask ourselves, what difference would such a deep strength of belief make in our own lives if we were to act on it every day that is left to us? What difference would such a deep strength of belief like that make in our own life if we were to act on it every day that is left to us? I wonder. That's a question I'd really like all of us to take home and ponder on. Let's move on. Note how Paul says that he is always confident. Not that he's sometimes or usually confident. And there are two important Greek words here. Always is the Greek word pantoti, which is made up of two smaller words meaning all and when. So we understand that in all whens, which after all means every when without exception, he is confident. Despite that, as we already know, Many of those wins have not been excellent adventures. Confident is the word thereo, which means to have an attitude of confidence or firmness of purpose in the face of danger or testing. And it's written in the present tense, which tells us that this is a continuous confidence and or courage. And so again, it covers all wins. Now this might be an idea that's hard to digest because if we think about our own life experiences, we will almost certainly ask, how could this possibly be true? Because our own confidence is regularly shaken by trials and tragedy. Well, Paul's answer is that for him, as we've already spoken about, it's because his whole existence is perfectly covered. While he is at home in the flesh, he is covered by Jesus' redemptive death on the cross and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Afterward, at home with the Lord, the promise realized is there, that glorious, eternal, heavenly home. 
Now, again, I, I want to ask you to pay close attention here. I want to ask you a piercing question. How is your own security any different to Paul's? Is it? Paul does not possess anything that you do not. For you too have Jesus and the Spirit and the same promise. And so for you too, in all whens, you can always be confident to do the work of the Lord. Such confidence is the key to profound spiritual comfort. However, it must be said that the same is not necessarily true for physical comfort. To live as a Christian is often deeply uncomfortable because it is so contrary to usual human nature and so it often results in confrontation of some kind. That said, which is preferable? A short three score and ten of comfort or an infinity of comfort? Well, those who accept Christ as Lord can be completely confident of the latter. Next, I want to talk to you about this matter of being at home in the body. What does, what does home mean to you? In my mind, it means comfort. It means normal. It means welcome. It means refuge, to name just a few things. And I'm sure that you could think of some others. So what we read here says to me that God intends for us to be at home in the body. Confident in them. Comfortable. Welcome. Well, yes, this slightly porky and achy one that I'm in now. You might have one just the same, or perhaps you're fortunate enough to have the junior version that is still smooth and bendy. In either case, it was his plan and his intention for us to have these bodies, to experience those ups and downs, but still to use them for our good and his glory. So enjoy your body. Use it well. For it is, after all, your home and your purpose. God's purpose. Look after it. Keep it clean and free of dust and spider webs. And perhaps if you are a lady, you can apply a fresh coat of paint from time to time. <laughs> Let's look at verse 7 now. For we walk by faith, not by sight. If you were here last week for Mike's sermon, you'll have heard him speaking about how Paul picks up the latter part of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous will live by his faith. And he goes on to repeat its truth in his writings in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. I don't believe that what we're reading here in 2 Corinthians is that different to those texts. For after all, what is living faith without walking faith? It also reminds me of the question James asks in chapter 2 of his book. What good is a man who has faith without deeds? In other words, without being able to literally see a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus, walking faithfully, genuinely providing living evidence of the saving work of his Lord, one has every right to be suspicious as to whether they are really saved at all. Now here in 2 Corinthians we seem to have the same idea, but it is phrased a little differently. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So is the difference really significant? No, I don't believe so, as I've already said. I'm going to put the Amplified version up on the overhead for you. For we walk by faith, in other words, we regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by a conviction or belief, 
respecting man's relationship to God and divine things with trust and holy fervor. Thus we walk, not by sight or appearance. When you look at it this way, which explains what is meant extra plainly, and then holding up either the faith life or the faith walk text to it for comparison, we can see that in both instances it still holds true. And what I especially like is we don't have any sense here of a blind and unreasoning stumbling around in a dark world going on until we bump into the right things. No, there's a core of purpose. As it says in the Amplified, our lives are regulated and conducted. And what that really means is that we understand in our hearts what is right and then we live to the same standard outside using our feet and our hands and our mouths. Our actions come from what we know in the heart to be true, to be God's standards, not our constantly changing emotional reactions to what we see. And that is the undesirable situational ethics that Colfane speaks about from time to time. Now, you might be saying, that's all very well, Dave. But how do we, how do we really get that internal knowing but right? Because there's a practical aspect do there isn't I mean I can say it as many times as you like but but how do we actually do it well there's two things God is already ahead of us and he supplies our need in two ways in the first instance as we've read here today we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee okay now we're all familiar with guarantees but the Holy Spirit isn't like that he isn't just fine print on a document to explain what happens when things go wrong he is also extremely active. And just to remind you of how much he does, I'm going to repeat the list of his different works from my last sermon on verses 4 and 5. This is what he does. He empowers us. He gives assurance of salvation to us. Gives evidence of God's presence. Gives life and power for service. He guides and directs God's people. He illumines, that means he teaches and reveals things about the nature of God so that we can understand them. He purifies. He is the source of revelation to prophets and apostles and he unifies the body of the church. So, we have the Holy Spirit continuously working inside us to show us the right way in many, many ways. And although we cannot speak to him face to face, I am certain that his whispered promptings are familiar to us all. But I must add that they are wasted if they are left behind as something we only once heard. If the Spirit is active, we are required to be too. He may point, but we must go. And He will go with us, but He will not carry us there. But that is not all of God's provision by any means. The second part is that we have a very complete source of internal conviction and resolve right in our Bibles. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yes, we may feel that the Lord's counsel is not directly possible in the sense that we can't go and talk to him, but he's taken a lot of trouble to write things down for us. Of course, that's no help if we don't take the time to read and understand what he has written. What he, what he has written. Because although the words were physically formed by humans on a piece of paper or papyrus or whatever, they are not born from what humans think about God. 
They are God's own words about himself given to us through human hand. But even so, they are his alone. If you're sitting there holding your Bible, you are holding a letter from God directly to you in your hand. Do you ever think about that? And that means that it will always provide the very clearest possible light for us to see where we need to go when we are faithful to press the on switch by picking it up and reading it. This declaration that we walk by faith and not by sight is not just a randomly inserted phrase that's there to look meaningful. It is absolutely in context and part of the whole argument. Since when we are absent from the Lord and at home in the body, that is factually the only way we can walk. As much as any one of us would absolutely love to be able to talk to the Lord face to face and get his opinion direct, that's very unlikely to happen. And I don't know why that's so. I know that it makes so many things in life difficult. But that is what the Sovereign Lord has decided to do for now. And so we must just accept it. If you've been thinking through this matter of walking by faith, you might have a question about where. Where should I be walking in faith? Well, the answer is everywhere. The Greek word is peripateia. And again, it's a compound word made up from peri, which means to walk around, and pateia, meaning walk or tread. So joined together, they literally mean to walk around, to go here and there, to tread all around. And Paul uses this word quite a bit. And all his use, uses describe how a person should conduct their life in general. Just to add to your fund of useless information, actually this word is still used in English today as the word peripatetic. And it still holds the same meaning. So to confound your friends, you could use this when they ask you what you've been up to. Oh, I've just been peripatetic, you could say. I'd love to see what their face looks like. But it remains that however we use it, Greek or modern, this word tells us that the answer to the question, where should I walk by faith? Well, it's everywhere and always. So, kindly do so. Verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, I wonder if you've heard of a thing called imposter syndrome. It's a psychological problem in which a person doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments, and they go through life having a persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. And the slightly peculiar thing is that people who experience this are often the least sort of folk that you would expect to have such feelings. Because if you see them from the outside, they look really confident. And often they do amazing things. They're high achievers. But nonetheless, on the inside, they carry around this terrible turmoil and fear. And I have an idea that many of us here can identify with this because I know that I feel like this quite often. So wouldn't it be wonderful to have a full and certain confidence, no matter what the circumstances, 
To know for sure how things will turn out and that you have met the mark completely, that you're not a fraud, that this is real. This is exactly, this is exactly what Paul is showing us is genuinely possible here in verse 8. He is confident to be at home in his earthly body no matter what the circumstance. But at the same time he is also confident, absolutely confident, of the goodness of his final home with the Lord after he passes. <laughs> Although he cannot resist pointing out that heaven is far preferable to being in, on earth. This message is really just a rep repetition of what we see in verse 6. And then that in, again is just one part of a larger argument that has been given in different ways back through earlier parts of this letter. Now remember that Paul is writing here to believers who are suffering. They are suffering in many practical ways because they turned their back on their Jewish faith. And at the same time they are being confronted by Judaizers who are trying to convince them that the right way to go is to combine Jewish custom and Christian faith. They say, oh, to be a proper Christian, you must also be circumcised and observe the various feasts, etc., etc., etc. So there's, there's enormous pressure to live with here. Imagine struggling to feed your family just because merchants have closed their doors to you because you follow Jesus. And then on the way home, you have people stopping you on the street, arguing long and persuasively that you haven't exactly found the right way to God. It would be deeply distressing, wouldn't it? And this is why we see Paul building his argument bit by bit, and he starts back in chapter 3. So I'll give you some of the, the key points. Firstly, he talks about the superiority of the new covenant to the old. He writes, For the, if the ministry of condemnation had glory... The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is more glorious. Now, of course, he's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. Secondly, he says the death of Jesus gives us the ability to endure all persecution and it also gives a purpose to that endurance. Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That's the purpose. Thirdly, the indescribable gift of life that awaits every believer. Chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Fourthly, the certainty of eternal comfort once we have left this earth. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
one eternal in the heavens. And finally, our passage today, the confidence that comes from knowing that we are not imposters, that even though we might now be in difficulties, there is only one glorious, sure, and certain future, and that is at home, present with the Lord, and it is already ours. We are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, well, we're just absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This, this zooming out that we've just done to have a macro look at the message of this book is so valuable because otherwise we might not see the forest for the trees. It's illuminating to study a few verses, as we usually do on a Sunday, but we can't forget that they are part of something larger. Although 2 Corinthians is written 2,000 years ago to people we probably wouldn't understand today because of their language and customs, its message is absolutely true for us today. Because the Church of Christ is still a persecuted church. And the degree of that persecution is increasing rapidly. The Church of Christ is still under attack by persuasive arguments about its modern relevance and the accuracy of Scripture. The Church of Christ, you and me and us, and those folk across the river who are probably worshipping at the same time as us, well... We all need to know that whether to be or to go makes no odds for us in the end because it's all the same. We are at home with the Lord and He will not ever let us go. And therefore, we can be confident to serve Him no matter where or when or how. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, that you know when and how to strengthen us. And thank you that that strength actually is always in, inside us. Lord, I pray that one of the promptings of your Spirit would be to remind us of that fact as and when we need it so that we can properly do what you have set us here on earth to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.